Okay, so tonight we are going to continue our series on biblical stewardship. And specifically, I want to address the issue of using money wisely and debt. And we may not uh, cover all that material, but we're going to get started into it, and then we'll just roll it into uh, next week. Um, as as uh, we're discussing these things, I want you to keep in mind uh, Colossians 3.17, which says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So that's a, really an all-encompassing all verse uh, for all areas of life. But especially, uh, we can apply it uh, in a specific sense to how we use our finances and our interactions with finances and, and all that's involved with that. So as, um, as we seek to be good stewards, we want to do so in the name of Christ and, and for His glory. So again, tonight we want to talk about our use of finances and uh, debt. Um, Charlie's not here, but I, I, he might guess the answer to this question if he were. What's 14 digits long and changes so fast that the smallest five digits pass by like a blur? What do you think? The national debt. The national debt. There you go. That's right. You know, if you go to usdebtclock.org, right, you can see you can see it. Don't go now um, on your phones. But... Um, Go look at it, and you'll be surprised. So five digits, figure that out. Five digits are passing so fast you can't read them. Okay? So to read it, you have to do a screen capture, and then you can read it. That's how it, what I had to do. Um, so interesting enough, when I taught a series on biblical stewardship before, it was 2011, <laughs> and I was in Canada. So 2011, the national debt, the U.S. national debt, was... Fourteen trillion, four hundred thirty-seven billion, seven hundred sixty-nine million. I'm just rounded off at that. So, fourteen point four trillion dollars in debt. Guess what it is today? Just ten years later, double. We are at twenty-eight point eight, twenty-eight point eight trillion dollars. We doubled our debt. In 10 years. Okay. So it's interesting that, um, that it, I actually did double in 10 years. It's sad, actually. So I asked the question, how can the, our nation sustain this level of indebtedness and survive? So for years, when I taught this even about 10 years ago, economic, you know, economists were saying we're going off a cliff financially. So what would they say now? They're, I'm sure they're saying the same thing. Um, will, it, will it happen? Only the Lord knows. But as far as the economics goes, it's not looking good. A debt of $28.8 trillion um, equates to $86,580 per citizen. Per citizen. Now, if you um, average that by taxpayer, because not every citizen pays taxes, um, it's 228 $1,661 per taxpayer. That's what you owe to, to pay off our debt. It's what I owe to pay off our debt. As amazing and, and surreal as a $28.8 trillion debt is, and by the way, if that new bill passes this week, that'll add $3.5 trillion to that immediately. And there's 
talk that it's much more than 3.5 trillion to that. So that that will really rack it up much quicker. Um, by the way, what what do you think the biggest um, on on our debt? What do you think the, the on an economy? What do you think the biggest what we're spending the most money on? Anybody got a guess? Uh, actually, not. <laughs> Medicare and Medicaid, the biggest debt, biggest thing we borrow money for is to pay Medicare and Medicaid. Next, Social Security. Make sure everybody has retirement. Next, defense and the wars we fight. And fourth largest category that we pay, interest. Yeah. So the fourth largest item in our budget is paying interest. I think that's costing us a fair bit of money. Um, so, and that's just the national debt. That's not including personal debt. So when you add up um, the debt of U.S. citizens, businesses, states, local governments, or financial institutions, when you add all that up, our debt skyrockets to 86.2 trillion dollars, right? well exceeding our gross national product by multiples. Um, so the immensity of a number like 28. trillion dollars, it's difficult for anybody to grasp. Uh, you see all the zeros, and it just it kind of like it doesn't really make sense. So I want to try to help bring that home. So um, if, if you, I'm going to use the anal- analogy of time. So one day has 86,400 seconds. A million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. So let that sink in. A billion seconds is 31 years. So if if you, if our national debt was just a billion and, and you could pay a dollar a second of it off, it would take you 31 years to pay it. And that's just a billion. $1 $1 trillion is 31,688 years. So 28.8 trillion seconds is 912,000 years. So if you could pay a dollar every second towards the national debt, it would take you 912,000 years to pay it off. It's like Star Trek math. Okay. Yeah. So again, look at an analogy. Look at it a different way. This time, I'm just looking at a stack of a stack of dollar bills. So if you take a, a dollar bill and you stack up a thousand of them, that's four point three inches. Uh, I'm sure compressed. All right. Um, so then you take one million take take one million dollar bills. Um, that's three hundred and fifty eight feet high. So that's about the about a 30 or 35 foot um, story building, uh, not a foot building, but 30, 30 or 35 story building. Then if you take one billion $1 bills and stack them up, that measures 67.9 miles high, right? So that's uh, into the atmosphere. That's, that's about the same um, height that Spaceship One ascended in 2004. Then if you took the height of 28.8 trillion $1 bills, that's 1,954,000 miles. 
So that would reach to the Earth and the Moon, reach from the Earth to the Moon and back about eight times. So the Moon's 252,000 miles away at its farthest uh, distance. So I don't know if that helped you understand the immensity of our debt any, but but it's huge because what happens is these numbers sometimes say trillion dollars. You just you hear it thrown out, and and it doesn't really sink in. Uh, the other day, President Biden said, "Yeah, the trillionaires of America are doing wonderfully." The trillionaires. Um, America doesn't have any trillionaires, so there's quite a few billionaires or a few billionaires, but there's no trillionaires. So even he loses track of the government spends money like that. Trillionaire, yeah, they're doing fine. So they're, they're, actually, the trillionaires are the ones they're going to tax to pay for the budget. I digress. Um, so you, you can see the problems here. And, and why aren't people up in arms about it? The reason why is the government has figured out that people love to receive money and they don't like taxes. So they just keep spending, implementing programs to give you benefits, um, and they raise taxes very slowly. Now, sometimes quickly, but kind of a knee-jerk reaction. They can't do it too quickly or they get voted out of office. So it's a self-serving um, thing, and they just kick the can and kick the can. Now, before we get all upset at our government, um, we need to take a good look at ourselves, our neighbors, our friends. Um, mostly, uh, most Americans are no different than their government and how they spend money. Um, if you spend more than you earn, you're not living wisely. You're enslaved financially and very likely not, not living life with the self-control that God desires for you. So that's, that's a huge problem. Uh, spending unwisely is a huge problem for our culture on an international and national and personal level. It's uh, we're basically broke, broke people living like we're faking it or living like we're rich. But in fact, if all the loans were called in, we'd all be broke or most would be. Um, and unfortunately, many North American Christians um, have have caved in to some of the intense marketing and followed fall, fallen prey to unwise um, ways of, of managing money. Uh, some have gotten uh, themselves into a mammoth financial hole. Uh, all you got to do is turn on to the Dave Ramsey show, catch that sometime, and you, you'll hear the immense uh, credit card debt that people have, you know, 40000 80000 or exceeding that, um, you know, over $100,000 in commercial debt. That's, that doesn't include the mortgage. That's, that's cars, that's credit cards, that's other things. Um, and all this is due to the lust of our hearts, um, slick marketing that tells you you'll never be happy unless you buy this and then you have it and you realize that you're not happy. So you got to go with the new thing, new car, new house, latest iPhone, the new game, um, bigger, uh, bigger TV screen. Um, you notice how this works. Uh, I remember David and I were talking about this, that like the, the flat screen TV in our house when we bought it, Rhonda was like, do we need one that big? And... You know, I didn't think it was that big, but, but now it it looks rather small by standards. Um, but that's how things change. We all used to watch like TVs, you know, little small, twelve inch, maybe maybe twenty inch, and now we're watching on gigantic fifteen foot screens or somewhere anyway. 
But not, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable about buying stuff, uh, but I am trying to get your attention that we need to use biblical principles for spending our money and avoiding debt so we can be faithful stewards um, of all God that of all that God entrusts to us. Um, so if we want to be faithful stewards who who give, um, you know, to whom God gives eternal rewards, and I'm not saying you earn eternal, you know, you I'm not talking about earning salvation. What I'm talking about is God rewards those who are faithful. And um, if, if we're going to aim towards that, and I trust that you want to do that, then you must purpose to spend money wisely. And uh, ultimately recognizing it's not your money, it's his money. And we have to trust God for our needs and um, help, help us to be self-controlled and to avoid whenever possible what I call dangerous amounts of debt. So some of the foundational principles I just want to cover uh, quickly in, in, in um, talking about this, I, I want you to understand that when we talk about an area of application like finances, there's much, as I've already said, there's much that the Bible teaches us. And then there's many things that um, that the Bible is, is silent on. We try to apply principles. So the first thing that we want to talk about or uh, the foundational principle I want to lay out there for you is, is that we need to discern um, distinctions between biblical commands, biblical wisdom, and then personal choices on how, on how we carry out those commands. So examples of biblical uh, biblical commands um, would be First Timothy six seventeen. It says, "Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy." Or Hebrews thirteen five. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So those are biblical commands. So violating a biblical command is sin. So we can just very clearly state that. So a lack of contentedness or trusting in your wealth um, is sin or or having a love of money uh, is, is sin. Uh, then there are, the Bible gives us what I call biblical wisdom. Uh, biblical wisdom is, uh, if you violate biblical wisdom, it may not be sin, but it's folly, it's foolishness to, to violate it. So the example of biblical wisdom would be like Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent surely lead to advantage, but everyone who is hasty surely comes to poverty. And obviously there's many levels that is applied, but that would apply also to the financial sector. Or Proverbs 28.20, 20, a faithful man will abound with blessings but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. So there's just those biblical principles that are given to us with biblical wisdom that, that it's not, if you, if you don't listen to that, um, you're, you're, you would fall into the category of just living foolishly, but it's not uh, outright sin, at least in most cases it's not. And then the other category I mentioned, which is personal choices. That is, how do we apply these things? So the command is don't, don't set your hope on, on riches, um, but how do you how do you play it out, right? So how do you apply that? So that that's going to look differently from person to person, from home to home. Um, the specific way in which one chooses to apply wisdom can't be put on the same level as biblical instructions or biblical wisdom. So your personal convictions about how to apply it aren't on the same level of authority as God's word, or the, even the principles of wisdom of God's word. Um, so, for example, one person may choose uh, to totally avoid all debt, even mortgage debt, 
but but that person's uh, choice should not be argued as the only way to honor God regarding um, uh, you know loans, the only way to obey God's word. So we need to be discerning on when we talk about principles. So so think about that when I when I throw something out there, is it a biblical mandate? Is it a biblical principle like wisdom, or is it just Mark talking? Um, most of what I said tonight, uh, as far as when I give advice, it's not mine. It's either Dave Ramsey's or it's practical stuff I've heard from from somebody else or um, one of the people that I've listened to about uh, following uh, uh, biblical uh, stewardship. And the other thing I want to mention is that tonight we're not going to be talking about uh, wealth building. We're not talking about principles of wealth building. We're just going to assume that you have some amount of wealth uh, to steward. Um, so if you want to know, uh, want some help in, in understanding a theology of wealth or a theology of work, I recommend uh, lessons that the men listened to this summer on uh, Valuing Wealth by Brad Clausen. Uh, those are available on Grace Church's website through Men of the Word uh, Ministry. You can go there and listen to those. Um, and there's also some general principles about money by Jim Newhauser that I would recommend, and that's on the ibcd.org website. If you've never visited the website, it's a very helpful website. It does a lot of biblical counseling, um, and they do not only do training, but they make a lot of the resources available for free. So you can listen to the MP3 of the message, and they usually have a, an outline, uh, like a PDF outline that you can print off and kind of take notes while you're listening. So again, that's uh, General Principles About Money by Jim Newhauser. So that's that's kind of assuming that um, that you understand that. If you don't, please go recommend it. Rec uh, go listen to those uh, lessons. Um, so tonight, to, to be a faithful steward of the resources God has given you, you need to purpose to use God's money wisely. So that's our first kind of major point. Purpose to use God's money wisely. So how do you do that? How do you use God's money wisely? So again, I'm, I'm using the idea that it's God's money that's he simply entrusted it to you. You're the steward of it. First thing is, honor the Lord from your wealth. And I'm going to have a separate lesson that talks about giving uh, totally, but I, I, I want to put this out there first and foremost. So Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So just recognizing that everything you have comes from him and we want to honor him uh, with that um, and and not um, recognize that it's that it's his um, and not ours. Um, and, and we do that by uh, setting aside money to give to the Lord like in, in obedience to um, Scripture. For example, 1 Corinthians 16.2, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and to save as he may prosper, so no collections be made when I come. The, the point there is not you have to set aside something weekly, but you set aside as the income comes in. The, the text presumes that you've earned income through the week, so you set that aside. So if you get paid weekly, set it aside weekly. If you get paid biweekly, then set it aside biweekly. The idea is, is, is using money and setting, setting that first part aside before you even start using anything else. Um, but what else do we do to, to use God's money wisely? So you honor the Lord from your wealth. Uh, secondly, plan your spending by making a budget. Now, there's nothing in Scripture that says you have to have a budget, and if you don't have a budget, you're sinning. So again, this is why I'm saying you got to discern where these instructions come in. Um, but it's wise. A budget allows you to plan how you will best use your money. Right? Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent 
leads surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. So the idea there, budgeting is planning. So you're planning, and, and God's word says that there's an advantage to planning over just allowing things to uh, just to come at you willy nilly. You know what happens if you don't if you don't budget? You, you spend some over here, you spend some over there, you spend some there, and then before you know it, it's gone, and now you got a bill that just showed up that you forgot about. So it's those kind of things that. You know, we want we want to plan. So a budget allows you to to systematically build your financial house. So Proverbs twenty four four and five says, uh, "By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches." See, the idea is by by planning, and you're you're able to be systematic. You're able to to build for the future. Um, Luke. Uh, 14, uh, 28 to 33, and talking about a spiritual lesson, Jesus uses kind of a financial uh, and and a resource analogy. He says, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So just, uh, just applying that principle to the idea of monthly budgeting, you want to budget so you, when you get to the end of the month or near the end of the month, you're not left uh, uh, unable to pay a bill and someone saying, you foolish person, you know, what, you, know you, you have enough money, but you're using it foolishly and you're not um, able to finish that, not able to finish paying your bills. Um, a budget helps ensure that you're able to provide for all the needs of your family. Uh, for example, if you blow your money in the latest, latest gadgets or computer or, or you just fail to plan for medical expenses, which aren't don't come all the time, but when they come, they can be pretty hefty, you may find yourself unable to provide for the basic needs of your family. And why is that important? Because 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So obviously it's applied initially with just basic sustenance of providing for your family. Um, but also this the idea of, of providing all that you can. Obviously, this is talking about normal stuff. There are uncontrollable large expenses that would uh, uh, overwhelm anybody's planning. So I'm not talking about like the, um, the special circumstances type thing that people need help with. So we just provide, we try to provide help for those kind of things. But the idea is, are you planning for these things? You know they're coming. Are you planning for them? Um, and all that falls under really the idea uh, we find of the, the qualification of the requirement for elders to be one who manages his own household well. First Timothy 3, 5 and 8, he that is the elder must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his household, how will he take care of the church of God? So it's emphasizing the control of, of the family, but under that banner, you're going to have management of the finances of the household with that. So not everybody is an elder, but understand that the, 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 the modeling that the elder does is so that everybody else can follow that. Right? So the idea is that you, you seek to manage your family well. A budget helps you to be a better manager and steward of, of your money, which is really God's money. So what am I talking about? It's simple. List your income, then list your expenses, um, take care. First, the first thing I want to take care of is what Dave Ramsey calls the four the four walls of your financial house. That is food, utilities, shelter, and transportation. If you don't have those basics, 
you're going to find it very difficult to, to live. You're going to find it difficult to get work and earn money and all those things. Um, a, a budget uh, helps you plan to use your money to the glory of God. Like I mentioned about for, uh, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So remember that a budget is just telling your money what to do. Sometimes a budget feels like a straitjacket if you're more of the uh, um, free spirit type of person. Uh, you, you can think of a budget as uh, it might feel like a straitjacket, but just remember it's you telling your money what to do. Um, and it's not a it's a tool. It's not a master. A budget's a horrible master, but it's just a tool to help you manage your finances. And it's a much better way to to uh, spend your money rather than just letting your impulses, your moods, your wants, and apparent needs drive you haphazardly into the future. So, do you want to to um, to the best of your ability to to drive to a financial goal systematically, or you just want to kind of haphazardly uh, see where life takes you, and then you end up in 20 years realizing that you've squandered a lot of opportunity um, to prepare for the future. So if you need help building a budget, um, there are people within this body who would be glad to help out. You can also go online um, and find many helpful tools. Mint.com is a free resource that help you budget. Uh, there are there are free budgeting guys at, at uh, uh, Dave Ramsey's website, Ramsey Solutions. You have to be careful. There's a lot for sale there. They want you to buy things. But they do have some free resources as well for budgeting. Um, their, uh, their tool, the Every Dollar app, um, is uh, very helpful. Again, there's a free version of that. But if you want to sync to your, web, to your bank um, so you don't have to enter all the transactions individually, that costs you a little bit of money. But there is the, the free part of that that will help you uh, budget and track your expenses. So once you have, have a budget, then the next part is what I've always found to be more difficult. Um, as an engineer, I can do the math. I can put the budget together, and it's kind of, kind of fun. The hard part is tracking it, right? So that's what I've always found to be the most uh, challenging um, is to, to track it. So once the budget is built, uh, you're just praying for the Lord's help, right? Because you can you could build a plan, um, but if the Lord's not in it, you can be frustrated. So you just want to commit it to the Lord and ask him to help. So once you get the budget, the, you, you want to guard against relying or trusting in those finances, and you also want to guard against anxiety, so those are the kind of the some ditches you want to stay out of. Um, so Matthew thirty, Matthew six, uh, thirty one, thirty four passage you know well says, "Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow." For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So some people use that as just saying, well, I'm just going to trust God. I'm not going to plan. I'm just going to trust God. Right? Um, and and that is, is billed as kind of like a super spiritual type uh, strategy. But it's actually not wise. Right? So um, that you might get away with that if you're a single guy and um, you don't mind uh, living under a bridge at times. Um but that's not going to work very well for a family. So um, the point the point of Matthew 6 is not to argue against planning. It's that you not worry that despite the best plans, uh, there, there are things in life that you can't plan for and um, you may find to be financially overwhelming. So you just trust God. You do the best you can in planning and then trust God for what's there. 
And then on the other side of the ditch is, uh, or another ditch on that road is 1 Timothy 6.17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So once you set a budget, then shop wisely, getting the most for your money, uh, avoid impulsive purchases. Uh, some couples find it very helpful to set a threshold limit that you can have some mad money, if you want to call it that, or anything over a certain amount that you discuss and talk about. Um, so it's it's really good to go window shopping only and then not make that impulse buy and see where it fits into the budget. Again, a budget's just there to help you spend your money wisely. Um, so, and one of the things with a budget is that that's helpful is just to review that on a monthly basis. So don't let it be a dead budget. Let it be a live budget where you're actually tracking and making adjustments um, uh, from month to month. So uh, beyond the beyond the you know, practical side of, of building a, a budget, spending money according to the budget, but it also is just uh, teaching your heart to be uh, content with the basics. So there's times in life when we have plenty and there's other times where we maybe don't have as much. So we need to, to really learn how to be content with whatever God provides and not grumble. First uh, Timothy 6, uh, verses 6 to 11, tell us that godliness is, a, is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So, some of you can, uh, some of you know the the, the pain and griefs of, of poor financial decisions, and uh, you know whether that's just getting uh, uh, in debt over over things or for things that that uh, in the end. Um, just weren't weren't worth it, and those kind of griefs uh, pain you. But but uh, just realize that God wants us. God wants us to grow in content uh, contentment. Um, Philippians four verses eleven to thirteen, uh, where Paul talks about contentment. He says, "Not not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity." In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the context is about contentment with that that verse that's so plastered on a lot of coffee cups and you know posters. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, that one is often ripped out of context. But the context is just learning contentment, realizing that there are, though you may uh, have times of plenty and there's other times of want and, and the secret he says I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry what is that realizing that God gives you exactly what you need at that moment and just resting in that and not grumbling um, and, and learning to be content with basics means just that don't live beyond your means uh, our our culture has uh, access to credit we're going to talk about debt later based on the time it, it may um, we'll just get started with it tonight. Uh, won't get very far with that. But understand that 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 really uh, going in debt for many consumer products is just a sign of 
discontentedness, and a lack of self-control. Um, God does not want you to live beyond your means. God wants you to live within your means. Uh, so living, living beyond your means leads to dangerous levels of debt. Um, and as I mentioned, it's a, it's a sign of lack, lack of self-control. You know, self-control is a fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be self-controlled. So sometimes um, because of difficult circumstances, difficult relationships, difficult work conditions, people medicate through spending. So if, you're, if you do that, when I say medicate them, so they just go buy stuff and they feel better. Um, and if you're do it using cash, then that's your business. But if you're doing that on credit, then uh, it's really just poor stewardship. Um, so to be a faithful steward um, of the resources God has given you, you purpose to spend wisely, and you need to purpose to avoid and get out of debt. So uh, the overall message here is while debt is not a sin, uh, debt is a burden, and debt in, enslaves you. So um, before we talk about debt itself, just, just to cover some common uh, debt traps and money myths, and this is uh, adapted from Jim, Newsha- Jim Newhauser's work um, that you can uh, listen to at uh, ibcd.org. So what are some common debt traps or money myths? Uh, first of all, debt's, debt is no big deal. Well, you know, that's only a really recent, recent development. If you were to go back uh, a few generations, um, I even heard, uh, I was reading even today, that if you go back uh, far enough, you'll see warnings even from like companies like JCPenney that buying things on credit is dumb. So they wouldn't say that today because they earn a lot of money from people buying things on credit and then not paying it off and they get a lot of interest money. But But it used to be that... Um, that buying things on credit was frowned upon and, and clearly seen by culture, even unbelievers, as, as foolish. Um, another uh, money myth is that debt is a uh, sorry debt is a tool to create p- prosperity. Uh, so again, just using using borrowing money uh, in order to create money. Um, that works sometimes, but many people have been bitten by it when that plan to make money crashes, and now you got a big debt to pay back, and you have nothing to pay it with. Uh, another debt myth: um, you, you can spend. Well, what you spend is determined by how much credit you have, not by how much you make. Right. So a lot of people spend whatever their credit limit is, and, and uh, I've noticed that my credit limit just keeps increasing. I didn't ask for it to be increased. But it just keeps uh, increasing, so um, you know, and that's that's somewhat intentional. They want you to feel like you've got power and you can go make some big purchases. Their goal is um, to get you to a place, right? I'm not the, the credit card companies are in the business of making money off of interest, so their goal is to get you to spend enough money in your credit card or you can't pay it back. So not only do you get hit with that little fee, $40 or whatever, that's small That's small money, right? They're interested in that, the interest rate. So that interest rate, if you have a good credit card, might be 15% or 16%. But then when you don't make the minimum payment, um, that immediately goes up to about 25%. What's your bank interest rate you're earning right now? Yeah. 
0.2%. So the banks know there's big money in this. And most of them are based in Nevada, which does not have usury laws. And there's a reason why they're based in Nevada. Because they're engaging in practices that are called usury. Exceedingly high interest rates. And they know they got you. If, if you just don't make that minimum payment. You ever looked at the bill? You know, you, you can use a credit card to make a purchase. might be a $400 purchase. And, and now they're required by law to break that out. You know, if you make the minimum payment, this is how long it takes you to pay that off. You ever look at the breakdown of that? So it's like, it's pretty scary how long it takes you to pay that off if you don't pay the full amount up front. Um, Another, another money myth. Dave Ramsey likes this one. Everyone has to borrow money to buy a car. Everyone has to borrow money to buy a car. Right? That's what we've been, that's what we've been uh, conditioned. Everybody's got a mortgage. Everybody's got a car payment. That's, that's not true. Right? So if you have a car payment, I'm not saying you're sin. This is an area of just, just wisdom. There are ways to buy cars without having a payment. Right. Um, go to go to Dave Ramsey's website. He kind of lays it out. But but you start with a beater and you and you drive that for a little while and you save some money. You sell the beater and add the money to it and you just keep building up right, until you can afford the car that you really want to drive. Um, um, another money myth. Um, people should shop with credit cards. They don't have to carry cash uh, since it's uh uh, since when you see a great deal, you're able just to buy something or you have a must-have. So, again, most of our um, society is buying things on credit. Uh, I rarely have cash on me anymore, but, but there is a danger to that because uh, studies have shown that you will spend more when you're um, swiping a card than when you're pulling cash out of your wallet. There's a psychological element to this. You know that they've done studies to show that you spend more if you tap the card versus swipe the card, which is why they want you to just swipe it. Why do they want you just to tap it? So it's not just COVID related. It's They've done studies on this. They've spent a lot of money um, trying to figure out how to get you to spend more money. So that, that that's, that's part of it. Um, so it doesn't seem, I guess it doesn't seem as real to us. Like when you got to pull the cash out of your wallet, it's real and it hurts. But that plastic, it just, doesn't seem real and because it comes out of the bank account you never really see it so there's very little pain associated with that um, rent to own is a good way to get people uh, for, sorry a good way for people um, to buy things who can't afford new appliances or electric devices to get what they need wrong it's a very expensive way to own something again buy something used and then um, work up to that nice thing um, that you need. If you if you really do need something, again, this is what you have a, a rainy day fund for. It's what you have an emergency fund for. The oven goes out. You're able to replace the oven without using your credit card to buy it or using a rent-to-own thing because it always costs more on a rent-to-own. Another, um, another uh, uh, money myth is that student debt can easily be paid back after one graduates and gets a job. All right, I won't, I won't raise you. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but you know people with student debt. How quickly does that get paid off? Not quickly. It's pretty sometimes pretty massive. Sometimes it's decades. 
right? Um, there are people in this congregation who I know are still paying college debt, right? So it, it's, a, it's a monkey on the back that's hard to get off. Um, fr- friends and family, here's another one. Friends and family show their love for one another by co-signing loans. Okay? Bad idea. Real bad. Change, you'll change the whole family dynamics <laughs> when you do that. Um, so sometimes uh, a cash advance payday loans are a, necess- are a necessary convenience. Okay, so if you have to use a cash payday loan, you're paying a steep fee for that. And if you're doing that, right, um, it's, it's evidence that you're not planning ahead. And so you're actually paying more for something that you could pay less for. So a plan ahead, having a cash, have enough cash built up that you can you can take care of things, paying bills. You don't need to. A cash advance is kind of a, a way of borrowing money, and there's always a fee from that. Another uh, debt or money myth um, debt trap would be debt consolidation services are a great way to get your finances back in order. So debt consolidation services can be helpful, but if that's all you do, all you're doing is addressing the symptom. So you're not addressing the heart issue. The heart issue is you're not content, you're spending too much, you're racking up this debt. So if you consolidate your debt, but that's all you do, guess what happens? You're going to rack up more debt here and there, and then another, another five, ten years down the road, you're going to have to consolidate again. And it's, the debt's going to be bigger, not, not smaller. Um, and another one is uh, on the kind of the, the common money myth would be, I can always declare bankruptcy if I get too deep in debt. It seems to be everybody's, not everybody, it seems to be many students hope these days that, not, not bankruptcy, but the, the government just wipe out their loan. But there's an idea that bankruptcy just can be declared. But keep in mind that some debts, uh, like student loans, you can't declare bankruptcy on. Um, and declaring bankruptcy, um, and I'll talk more about it later, besides some of the ethical concerns it stays with your uh, financial history a long time and will make it dif- very difficult to, to borrow money to buy a house in the future. Uh, let me stop there just based on time. Next time we're going to get into what the Word of God says about debt. Uh, I'm, not, um, uh, I'm not against wise loans, uh, but I, I, I want to just be very clear that, that um, so much of our debt is just unwise and uh, just to give you something to think about, Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. So in the land of the home and the free, with a $28.8 trillion debt, we're actually the land of the enslaved. Right? Um, much of that debt is owned to Japan, China, and Russia. So it's um, that's who we're enslaved to financially, which is not a, not a good thing. And I'll, I'll talk more about it next time as well as uh, good debt, or we'll call um, you know when it is a, when it's um, appropriate uh, to buy like something like a house. Talk about some of those things next time as well as what to do if you're in debt and want to get out of debt. So we'll look at that next time. Let me pray. Our Lord and our God, we just um, bring these things um, 
really is a mention these things as a way just to to be a better steward and i i know that i we all have room to grow we want to be better stewards using all that you've given us uh, for your glory and in a way that's just wise and maximizing the, the, the funds you give us uh, for the kingdom of God. So please help us to be better stewards, to, to change where we need to change and grow where we need to grow uh, for your glory and honor. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.